Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Hi! That's right, guys. You're not hearing things. The bitch is back. I and... did not ask you to say the bitch is back, Mark. <laughs> and we just had this we just had this discussion off air where where I was kind of reading through the kind of stuff that Bethan had written and I said I uh, got to my line and she'd put that's right guys you're not hearing things she is back and I said oh can I put the bitches back can I say the bitches back instead honestly we're like 10 seconds in and you're gonna get a fuck off mark straight away happy with that I've missed it it's been so <laughs> fucking long hasn't it oh it really has and thank you for your patience mark and also to all of our listeners I am so glad to be getting back into this and I'm really excited to get back into doing this properly doing recording every week oh it's gonna be amazing um, it's so not the same doing it on your own. It's um, as the actress said to the bishop. As the actress said to the bishop, yeah. <laughs> but you can't, you can't like have a laugh. You can't be naughty, and I've got nobody to wind up either and get told off for doing so. So um, I'm so pleased to have you back, and um, I know our listeners will be as well. So as Bethan said, uh, thank you for your patience too. But yeah, we're back, and I think we're both feeling really refreshed with the show. Um, I had a couple of weeks off, so um, yeah, I'm raring to go and we've got loads of stuff planned. I won't bore you with it all again because I talked about it last week. Um, But yeah, loads to come. Uh, So yeah, she is back and it's your case today as well, isn't it? It is. I just really quickly want to say as well that you've done an amazing job. Don't get too big headed. You're not going to get many compliments, but you have done a very good job. So well done. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, we we really are. We're really both very invigorated about the show and, and really passionate about what we're going to do next with this so yay and i haven't had the honor for a while so i would like to do the patron thank yous if you don't mind mark go for it yeah so as well as a huge huge thank you to anyone who signed up in my absence um because obviously i wasn't able to say thank you to you guys personally i'd also like to thank manda's l who increased her pledge alex getz amy thomas faye patsy josie b and katie hill Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you to all of our existing Patreon supporters as well. Uh, If you'd like to sign up uh, in this way too, then you know uh, what to do. So just head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. And uh, it takes two minutes to sign up. And honestly, your support over at Patreon uh, means so much to us. We've got nearly 350 people uh, supporting us that way. So um, go and join them if you can. There's loads of exciting stuff going on over there, including our book club. Uh, So I'll be meeting you guys this this Saturday to discuss uh, a book. It's called The Witness by Nicola Talent, and I've not even started reading it yet. So, um, <laughs> incredible! Well done. Standard. Yeah, I've, I leave oh, everything to the last. You second, could have taken so. it on holiday with you. I did. I did take it on holiday. Okay. Um, and didn't read any of it. So. Brilliant. <laughs> so I might as well leave it, you know, for a week when I've got to write an episode for the show and work five days. Why not? You know. Yeah. Why not? Into that. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Exactly. Right, enough of this chit-chat because people hate long introductions, uh, so we better shut the fuck up and get on to the case. Bruce Andrew Roberts lived on Greendale Street in Greenwich in Australia. The home in an affluent area of Sydney went up for sale in 2018 at $1.8 million, which you might think is crazy, but this was actually described, according to realestate.com, as a low price compared to the median house price for the area, which is $2.552 million. 
How crazy is that? But then Australian dollars, like for us in in England, isn't it like less than two dollars to a pound or more than two dollars to a pound? So that it's still a, a big house, but it's probably like an eight hundred grand house. Oh, get you! Oh, it's not very just impressive. An eight grand, is it? Eight hundred grand house. I'm Mark. Don't worry about me. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't live in an eight hundred grand house, so I can't say anything. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's a nice house. But the fact that it was 1.8 million rather than 2.55, maybe the story that we're going to tell today behind the house and the events that took place caused this. Mm. And maybe also the house is quite a mess, so maybe it just needs a lot of work as well. Okay, I'm intrigued. So the property known to local children as the creepy house on the corner was the home of 60-year-old Mr Roberts, who was a hoarder, a man described by neighbours as strange and uncommunicative. He was a recluse and he was always seen in a big brown coat, regardless of the season. And that's even weirder when you remember it's in Australia. Hot. Yeah, that. oh, I bet it was all sweaty and manky as well. Yeah. In the summer, yeah. And Bruce, Andrew Roberts' behaviour had become more and more paranoid. So he was ringing his perimeter fence with barbed wire, he'd nailed his windows shut, and he scattered cans around the outside of the house as an intruder alarm. His garden was unkempt and full of rubbish, and debris was strewn around in the grass. Three old motorbikes were left out in the backyard, but none of the neighbours could even remember him ever riding them. So where were they from? How long had they been there? His sole social interaction was that he would write to his relatives and send Christmas cards. So a neighbour called Bob described the unmarried childless bachelor as the sort of person who would spend time talking to himself quite vigorously while he was digging in his garden, but said he would send us a card and wish the dog a happy Christmas. Even after the dog died, he'd still wish him a happy Christmas. (laughs) So he's just a bit of an unusual character, really. It's. I mean, I was kind of uh, sort of ready to laugh at him and he's a hoarder and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, God, like, you know what I'm going to say about hoarding because we've covered it before and what people yeah. hoard that hoard, say, bottles of piss of their own piss. Um, but actually, it's like it's a really serious mental illness, isn't it? Sort of on the extreme side of OCD. So and that mm. paranoia is possibly a sign of of mental ill health so I, yeah. I do feel sorry for him actually um but I bet he did hold his own piss and I bet his coat fucking stank however <sighs> he was clearly mentally ill <laughs> I think from what, what I've oh seen oh my god from none of the reports were there any mentions of bottles of urine so I don't think that he hoarded his own wee oh I'm gonna beg to differ they okay. all do all hoarders okay. do it okay And I think you're right. When you look at Bruce Roberts and and his behaviours, you can see there's definitely something mentally wrong here because he would do the same walk every single day. He would walk to the supermarket, the pharmacy and the library. He usually wore the same clothes and he really wasn't interested in in any social interactions if he saw people in the street. So people would recognise him and they'd see him and he'd be a regular character that they'd know, but he wasn't necessarily friends with anybody. If that makes sense. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is sounding uh, a bit like me, to be fair. <laughs> what, you go to the supermarket, the pharmacy and the library? <laughs> Definitely not the library, but the supermarket or the pharmacy, mm-hmm. uh, trying to avoid people that uh, I might know and probably wearing the same clothes. Yeah. And hoarding your own bottles of wee. Oh, of course. Yeah, that too. However, having said all this, he, you know, he didn't have any real friends and nobody would really check in on him. But neighbours did begin to notice that they hadn't seen him on his daily walks. 
And then they noticed that his post was building up. So they did phone him for a welfare check with the police. So I thought that was really quite nice that even though he's not necessarily friends with anybody and the kids are all a bit mean about him in the area, people still cared enough to ask the police to go check on him. Yeah, I guess because he's a bit of an eccentric character or that's how he would have been viewed in that neighbourhood. I suppose he was almost um, well known for those reasons and people would have noticed him out and about. So... I kind of get, actually, that they would have noticed uh, his lack of presence. So, yeah, it's lovely, though, that they did uh, at least contact the police because how many times have we heard... Sometimes it's, you know, that there might be a loose crime involved somewhere, but most often not. How many times have we heard of a case where uh, somebody's discovered their neighbour in their house, you know, two years after they died and nobody thought to check on them and their kind of rotting corpse has been in there for years? That does happen. It happens all the time. So that could have been him. That reminds me of Marie Conlon. Do you remember? It was a long time ago and it was a case with the guy was called Fishboy because he'd always order a Domino's pizza and it had anchovies on it and it was really gross. Do you remember that case? I remember Fishboy, but I can't remember any details of that case. Yeah, so Marie had been missing for years and her family had even tried to knock on the door, but because she didn't want anything to do with them, they thought that she was ignoring them. And she was dead, I'm guessing. And she was dead. Oh, okay. There you go. See, I told you it happened. Exactly. Bruce Roberts had no criminal history. He didn't use drugs. So he was born in 1956 and he lived with his mum, his dad and his half-sister. And after what sounds like a pretty normal childhood, where Bruce spent time with both his separated mum and dad... He enjoyed exploring a passion for motorbikes and guns. He then spent his adult life living with his mum in that nice big house. They lived together until 1989 when his mum died and Bruce was aged 33 at this point. He was left a million dollars worth of shares by his mum when she died. So at that point, he paid to fully own the house. He still had more than $600,000 left in the bank when he died, but he never had to work So she really set him up for life. He was living in the house with her and then had all this money then as well. He didn't have to then change his lifestyle very much. Mm, Sounds like the dream. It does, doesn't it? Except for the fact that his mum had to die for it to happen. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, to even have 600 grand left in the bank at 33, it's not like he's kind of rinsed through that money, but I suppose he didn't lead an extravagant lifestyle, save for living in a, you know, fancy house. Yeah. After his mum died, he did have very little contact with his dad and it kind of felt like she was the point that kind of anchored him to the world because after she died, yes, he managed to pay off the house, like paid to have the house in his name purely and he had money and he could go and do his daily walks, but he stopped having any contact with his dad and he then became such a recluse and this is the point where he began to hoard. The older that he got, the more reclusive he became. And he also suffered from medical conditions. So he had conditions including hypertension, varicose veins and chest pain. The police had tried to locate Bruce Roberts and any family he had to see if they knew where he was. But they really couldn't find out much about him at all. Um, Kind of up until that point when he'd taken on the house. After that, it was quite quiet, really. So the police from Chatswood Station, along with the fire brigade officers, knocked on the front door at 12.45pm on Friday, July 21st, 2017, for the welfare check. And with no answer, they made the decision to break in. They broke the two locks that secured the door and they made their way in through piles of boxes, paper, bags, newspapers, luggage and rubbish. It was all piled up, kind of from the floor, almost to the ceiling. 
And the officers said that they were really shocked by this scene in front of them, but they knew that they had to make their way inside because they could smell an unmistakable smell, the scent of death. They made a path and they kind of made this path by wedging all of the rubbish that was going from the middle of the lounge along into the hallway. And they didn't have to get very far before they found Bruce Roberts. Officers found his body slumped over a radiator bar heater, which was turned on and his body was burned in an advanced state of decomposition. So he had extreme charring of his right hand, his right shoulder and the right side of his face, his neck and his chest. Isn't that so horrific? To to have died slumped over a, a sort of... I mean, I can't really picture exactly what the radiator bar heater would be but it's clearly so, do you remember those things we had under our desks when we used to work together oh, fuck, where it's like yeah. lines and it's like orange I... glows orange that one yeah, yeah yeah so that's that's the sort of thing that i would assume it would have been but probably a little bit of a bigger one than what we had yeah um in a room like to heat the room yeah so he's he the decomposition would have been extreme wouldn't it that's awful mm-hmm yeah So according to the post-mortem, the bony tissue of his ribs had also been burned away and his thoracic organs, which include the heart and lungs, were also charred. So it had literally been on since the time that he died against, like kind of lent up against it. And it's kind of burnt, it's not only burnt through the tissue of the rib cage, it's burnt right through to the, the organs inside. Yeah. And that evening, Bruce Roberts' body was removed from the mess inside his house. Senior Constable Shane Spencer told the court when he described the piles of rubbish that they discovered, he'd not seen anything like that before. So that day, his the body was removed from the house and the thermal damage to Roberts's remains made it really tough to ascertain the cause of death. But because he'd complained to his GP of chest pain a few weeks earlier and he'd refused treatment, the later inquest concluded that he must have died of natural causes between the 26th of May and the 21st of July 2017, and probably he'd suffered a heart attack, and in doing so had fallen onto that heater. I've seen um, I've seen a few of these recently, and um, where the coroner just doesn't, they can't really establish the cause of death, so they just kind of go with some other shit, like, it's like, oh, well, it's probably this... Um, and this seems like that because I'm, I'm sure more is going to come out with this um, as you kind of progress with the story. But I feel like a lot of the time they just they can't really ascertain the exact cause of death. So they're like, oh, we'll just go with natural causes then, even though it totally wasn't that. I think with him, though, I think it's quite fair to believe that it is because he'd said he would had heart problems or pain. Sorry, I should say he said he would had chest pain. He had a history of some health conditions. You know, he's not a young guy by this point. Or was he like in his... 50s no in his 60s so he's not a young guy oh of course yeah I'm thinking he's still 33 but that was oh, yeah, no, yeah that was ages 33 ago, yeah. in the 80s yeah yeah so okay yeah I, I don't think it's as you put it a load of old shit I think the coroner's tried their best probably and it is limited information <laughs> I was honestly thinking he was still 33 my bad yeah so that would make it, a little bit yeah, yeah if he's in his 50s or 60s then yeah I mean it's kind of fair game isn't it And with a lack of information for the police um, about Bruce's family, the home then remained unoccupied for the rest of 2017. And no one really noticed that Bruce Roberts had died, which made me feel so sad. You know, the people had said to the police, you need to go and find him. He'd been found. And then the inquest happened. And that was kind of that, like nothing more was really said. But that was until Christmas came and people didn't get their Christmas cards. And that was one of the few 
interactions that he ever had with people. Mm. So Bruce's aunt and uncle made inquiries when they failed to receive their usual Christmas card and they soon learned that he was dead. They were then discovered to be the beneficiaries of his estate along with a couple of charities which I thought was very sweet. Yeah. Um, so this aunt and uncle's inheritance included the house and then more than $600,000. And so began this major cleanup operation. In May 2018, when the family began to look around, they actually then found a rifle and ammunition in one of the bedrooms of the house. So the police were brought in and they had to be contacted to come and seize that. And then from that point on, professional cleaners were brought in to clear this, you know, this hoarder's Aladdin's cave of stuff. On the 29th of May 2018, five days after they started their job, they found more firearms and more ammunition. So once again, the police were then notified. So inside Bruce Roberts's house, there were three shotguns, six bolt-action rifles, three self-loading rifles, an air rifle, shotgun cartridges, rifle rounds, ammunition boxes and belts. This is sounding like, what was the guy's name? The um, Oh, the Hungerford Massacre. The hung- I was going to say Huntington, yeah. but yeah, Hungerford Massacre. It sounds like him, that obsession with... Uh, weaponizing himself mm-hmm. well you know building up his kind of uh, yeah. armory yeah it's crazy isn't it yeah so the cleaners contacted the police and then once again they came and they seized all of these weapons and then the cleaning continued but shortly after midday in the house's third bedroom they lifted up a dirty rug and they found a body whoa i did not see this come in did you not i am no. so glad you haven't known this case because i was so shocked when i was reading it it's mad isn't it yeah lying amongst all these hoarded items was the body of a fully clothed and mummified male in a seated position with his back against a couch slumped over to the left so for the third time the police were notified um this time obviously little bit different but the police turned up and sealed the scene and inspections revealed that all around the body and scattered throughout that bedroom were air freshener products so up to 70 different products they also found impact marks from shotgun pellets on the bedroom wall and lead pellets on the floor a green trunk in the corner of the bedroom had dried blood pooled on its surface and they took dna samples and a post-mortem of this man was completed because they literally had no idea who this person was and they weren't expecting to find anybody else in the house the body that had been found was identified via dna fingerprints and tattoos and it was determined to be the body of shane john snellman who had a lengthy criminal record and hadn't been seen alive since october 2002 oh man 16 years earlier yeah So Snellman's body revealed that his left foot had been separated from the ankle joint and that in two areas, so around his right ear and the top right of his skull, there was heat exposure. He had a gunshot wound to his left supraclavicle fossa, which is the indentation in the neck above the collarbone. I didn't really want to have to say that out loud, but... No, you've done well. I'm literally feeling it on on me now. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, now I know what Mm -hmm. that's called. Thank God. So the track of this wound indicated that shot had travelled from the left to the right side. He had shotgun lead pellets in his chest and his abdomen. And toxicology analysis revealed methamphetamines, amphetamines and ibuprofen in his system. And the shot in his neck was what had killed him. A lot going on there. They love crystal meth in Australia. It reminds me of, do you remember the um, How Far Would You Go to Defend Your Own Home? 
episodes that I covered and I covered a couple in Australia and there was that guy and he was high as a kite and he broke into that house. So yeah, it reminded me a little bit of that. I was kind of like, what is with Australians and meth? I'm a bit worried about all our Australian listeners. Are you guys high right now? (laughs) So who was Shane John Snellman? He was born in November 1963 and he spent his childhood in a Catholic convent home when his dad became ill. So Shane lived in boys' homes with his grandfather and with his father before he left school for good, aged 14. From the age of 15, when he was charged with the murder of a homeless man but acquitted, until his death, Snellman was well known to the police. So he served time in jail for property theft and drug offences and he also took drugs at times. At the age of 21, he went to go live on the central coast with his sister and his brother-in-law and he worked for a time in an abattoir And then he later returned to Sydney to live with his grandmother and his father. In 1995, he began a relationship with a woman called Philippa Denny, but the relationship didn't last. However, the pair did remain friends. Shane continued his criminal life. He occasionally underwent drug rehab, but he returned to prison a few times, including spending a year in jail for drug crimes until his release on June the 27th, 2002. So in October 2002, he was living in supported accommodation and bank records later revealed to police that he would withdraw his doll payments, usually on the day it was deposited, each fortnight. By October the 18th, 2002, nine days after his last doll payment, Snellman had been questioned by police because he was behaving suspiciously. Um, This was really shortly after he'd been released from prison as well. And at this point, he had no money, just 66 cents in his bank account. His next payment wasn't due until the 23rd of October and the police that spoke to him recorded that he was a drug addict and this seems to be the last time that Shane was officially seen. I find it really sad because um, it's so easy to judge, isn't it? And I'm not just saying this because it's like the right thing to say, but I always feel really sorry for people that are serious drug addicts, so addicted to heroin or crack or crystal meth, anything that's, you know, really, really kind of serious and um, because usually they're they're they've turned to that drug as a way of coping with some kind of trauma in childhood and this guy is in and out of prison in adulthood and in and out of rehab and he's got a brother and a sister in law or sister and brother in law. Um, you know, he's got some family, but there's only so much help people can give. And I yeah, I just think any of us is kind of potentially vulnerable to making a wrong decision and and going down a a path that's a bit like that perhaps not as extreme but um but yeah it's just sad I just wish he'd got the help that he needed to um I don't know what what he's done yet you know maybe he was going to murder the other guy but I, I don't know it just makes me sad it does it does and I think the fact that his childhood was quite chaotic when he left school even being associated with the murder of a homeless man whether or not you're found guilty or innocent the fact that you've gone through being charged with that is going to be a trauma in itself so yeah completely agree with you and it it does sound really sad 66 cents in his bank account he's not going to have money for another week and he's just been picked up by the police and he's kind of like well I'm behaving suspiciously because of whatever excuses he can give I don't know it just sounded very pathetic and sad and it it made me feel really really sad that this is a grown man 
Yeah, I can empathise a bit because I, I mean, we've probably all been in those situations in our lives when we're down to like a few pence in our bank account or of our overdraft mm-hmm. or whatever. And thankfully not for a while. But yeah, I've been there when it's like money is really tight and that's a horrible panicky feeling. And yeah. especially if, if he was a drug addict as well and had no money to buy drugs that he would have been then with, withdrawing. Um, so yeah, I do feel for him. Yeah, like why why do you think he's acting suspiciously? Of course he's acting suspiciously because he's stressed and potentially either high or not high and is bothered by the fact that he's not high or anything. So yeah, yeah. I it's going off completely off topic. But yesterday I was kind of tidying up after doing some playing and I thought to myself like how you sometimes kind of forget your own privilege really easily because um, I oh she's use gone worse. She's I've, gone no, woke. I've not. I haven't. I have not. But I was using some rice and pasta to do like a thing for Bella to play with. And then at the end, I just put it all in the bin because she'd been playing yeah. with it on the floor. And obviously, I'm not going to then feed her it for dinner. But I thought to myself, actually, I have that privilege of the fact that I didn't even have to think about it. I could just go, yeah, play with this and then I'll mm. chuck it in the bin. Like how, how like, and then when we're talking about this this morning, it does sometimes make you think, do you know what? there for the grace of god go i sort of thing don't you it's mad isn't yeah. it and I, I think i totally get where you're coming from I, I, like you could think it's quite trivial that you can kind of regard pasta and rice just as something disposable but i, I totally get where you're coming from and um and we we see it quite a lot because obviously i mean we've done nearly or maybe more than 150 episodes of seeing red now and there's a lot of people that we encounter whether it's a victim or actually the criminal the perpetrator quite often it, it's well you know of course most of the time when it's a victim it's not their fault um very rarely is that the case but certainly even with the perpetrator it's rarely their fault they're rarely born bad they just usually had a really shit underprivileged start in life a mum and a dad that didn't give a fuck about them and they've turned to Uh, self-medication or whatever it might be in later life as a way of coping and that's taken them down a really dark path and we we're only where we are just because we had a good upbringing and we happen to be born in a a kind of westernized country that's pretty privileged it is mad isn't it i've gone woke we have i saw i saw somebody uh we will get back on track i hope people hate it when uh, when we go off on tangents but we haven't been back together for so long it's allowed in this episode yeah, it's allowed, guys. It's our show. It's allowed to just fuck off. So I'm because I, I get you know like you put all the episodes on on YouTube, don't you? And we got like yeah. we got a decent following on YouTube, and people all sort of watch the episodes, and you put different photos in, and I get all the comments, like notifications of comments under the, those videos pop up on my phone, and there was one this morning, and a guy because it's the, most of the comments are always really negative about us. And um, saying how shit we are and stuff. And this guy called us a, like a pair of snowflakes. And I was just like, Jesus, like the one thing I'm not. <laughs> oh my God. Is a snowflake. One, because I'm, I'm 38. I'm way too old to be a snowflake. So, um, but yeah, called us a snowflake. It was for the Debbie Lindsley case because I'd said something about like in the 80s, all women were housewives, <laughs> <laughs> which like, I'm not being oh my funny, God, but I remember probably that there are a shitload more housewives in the 80s than there are today. I'm not judging. I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong. I'm, it was just a fact that there were more housewives in, in the 80s. Maybe oh I'd said God. that Debbie shouldn't shouldn't have got a job and should have chained herself to the cooker. Maybe I'd said that as well. I don't know. But I was just like, oh, fuck off. I'm not a snowflake. I'm way too old to be a snowflake. And that was a great episode, even if I say so myself. So, um, but yeah, that's YouTube fuckers for you isn't it they can just do one do you know what i find with youtube though and 
again, sorry guys, we will go back to the case very soon, but I do find with YouTube is that because if you listen to our show, you, you on a podcast, you would have subscribed to us and probably had it recommended or something. Like there'll be a reason that you come back to us. Whereas on YouTube, people will just find a video at random. It's very rare that you'd listen yeah. to a random podcast episode. So I think that's why people will look for certain cases and then they don't like how we deliver them. Or they'll yeah. just randomly come across us. I saw somebody who'd commented and said they didn't like our voices and then commented on another video going, oh, you guys again. And I thought to myself, well, why are you watching us then? Like, you've chosen to click this video. Like, I don't get it. And then I realised it's because they're not subscribing to us. We're just coming up in algorithms and stuff. So if they don't like us, but you're so right, people are so negative over on YouTube. And it makes yeah. me feel really sad sometimes. I'm like, why are you so upset about this? Just, like, I just don't, turn I mean, it off. <laughs> the, I think the thing is now, I just don't care. I'm more bothered about the yeah. reviews we get on of the podcast when people go on, like, iTunes or I think wherever so and, and review us. they've really kind of decided to listen to us as a show. I do agree with you there. Yeah, and I, I'll take it all on board. You know, most of the time they're right about stuff they say. So, um, But anyway, yeah, I mean, that's YouTube for you, so. So let's go back to the case, because on October the 23rd, 2002... 39-year-old Shane's payment had been deposited into his account, but it wasn't withdrawn. So, you know, the ex I said about who stayed friends with him, even though they weren't together, she was really worried and she spoke to his accommodation, but she couldn't get hold of them and neither could they. She did keep trying and she eventually did report his disappearance to the police, but he was not seen again until his body was found in 2018. And it was 15 years after he'd last been seen. Isn't that just so sad? It's sad and weird and it does happen. And it also kind of shows that it's it's almost never too late to give up hope. So um, I, I did Susie Lamplew last week, uh, the episode I covered that case. Mm. And um, her body's never been found. And her mum always wanted, or did they find a body? No, they never did. Her mum always wanted that closure and, of course, never got it. Her mum died, I think, in 2011. So, you know, a long time after Susie had gone missing. And they did manage to have her declared dead in the mid-90s officially without a body. And they even managed to get the cause of death listed as murder, which is quite rare, I would say, in the absence yeah, of a body. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but I think it, it must be so hard for families who have a child in particular that goes missing, like the McCanns is another example. Mm -hmm. A child that goes missing who is most likely dead has been murdered. So whether that's a child child or a grown-up child, Claudia Lawrence, another example, to, to not have that closure must be awful because you're always going to have a moment in your dark moments at five o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep, you're going to think... Is she, is she still alive? Are they still alive? Are they being held somewhere against their will? And I think you would at least have, you would have managed to get some sense of peace if you knew for definite that they died and you could really go through the grieving process. But I think, yeah, it must be so hard. So my point being that for this guy, Shane, his family for 15 years would have had that awful knowledge of the fact that he's disappeared, so his sister, his brother-in-law that he appeared to be close to at one point, you know, they'd have been thinking what the hell happened to him and I kind of am pleased that they would have got that closure in 2018 that, that he had died. There's a lady who went missing um, near to me recently and all over Facebook there's been appeals, you know, she's a vulnerable person, we need to find her and they sadly recently found a body and it doesn't look like there was any foul play, it looks like... Mm. Um, potentially she wandered off and 
died in some other way. I don't think it's necessarily murder or anything like that, but it was really, really sad to then have that conclusion of she's been found, however, it's not good news. But equally at the same time, like you said, at least her family now know they have her, they can put Mm. her to rest. They can have that closure. Whereas, yeah, with this, all of a sudden, 15 years later, 16 years later, you're being told we've just found him. Like, what the hell? That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it would really mess you up for that period. But I think you would then get a sense of closure. You can have a a proper funeral and bury the remains as well. So that's really important to be able to do that. But just very quickly, because this is another tangent, but um, we had really similar here in in Bristol, um, a guy, he was kind of like a bit of a local celebrity. He was called DJ Derek and he was like an oldish guy. I love that name. Yeah, and he was like... (laughs) He was a proper OAP, but he was a DJ and, you know, he was really well known on that scene and he was loved and he disappeared. And I think, I feel like his um, disappearance was perhaps mentioned on Crime Watch or maybe Crime Watch had finished by this point, but it made like headlines and um, nobody was found for months and months and they did eventually find a body and it was him. And again, very similar, there was no foul play, but I think until his body had been found, people would have just assumed that he'd been murdered and that the last minutes of his his life on this planet would have been horrific and actually you know it's still deeply tragic I think he wandered off may have been struggling with Alzheimer's wandered off and probably died of some kind of exposure but that's much better to know that that was the case than be wondering was he murdered yeah definitely and that's so sad and this is the other thing here is nobody can say exactly what happened to place Shane Snellman in this back bedroom in the house of Bruce Roberts Bruce Roberts didn't have friends. He didn't invite people over. So the coroner, Deputy State Coroner Derek Lee, at the inquest surmised that the only way he could have gotten inside the house was by unauthorised entry. Because although police found no physical evidence of an old break-in at the Greenwich property, he said it was most likely, knowing Snellman's background and his behaviours, that he would have broken in to obtain some sort of property to sell. And... They concluded that Snellman died sometime between October the 18th and the 24th, 2002. But there was no explanation given as to how Snellman could have found himself at Greenwich, which was 60 kilometres from where he was living in Campbelltown. Tests showed he had taken amphetamines and crystal meth before his death. So, you know, they're not going to have all the answers, but that does sound pretty reasonable also don't forget he had he was down to 66 cents at the time of his death and he would have been desperate for more drugs so yeah of course he would have been breaking and entering to try and get property to sell to then purchase drugs so it sounds highly likely that that is the case this is it so the the coroner said he it was his belief that snowman had broken into the property and roberts had shot the intruder forensic examination of the third bedroom confirmed that snowman had been shot and killed in there And then that's where he remained. However, ballistics testing of the firearms in the house found that none of them had a connection to the fatal wounds on Shane Snellman, which I found interesting, but there had been a lot of years passed. So he'd obviously got rid of the gun in some way. And I have to say, I agree. He's increasingly paranoid about break-ins. He's surrounded by his arsenal of guns and ammo. Bruce Roberts feels like he's being you know, attacked in some way. Someone's broken into his house. He comes across someone in his home. I feel like, yeah, he probably shot this intruder, but then he panics and he thinks, what the hell should I do? So he just keeps using air freshener and just carries on with his life. And that's what's so crazy with this for me. 
I, I kind of I can understand it more so because he's quite mentally ill and he's a hoarder. So the house would have probably stank a bit anyway. He's used to living in that sort of chaotic life. So I kind of get it. And we, there, there was, there's a very, very, uh, well, there's some similarities to another case in this country. And I can't remember their names, but it's um, the guy was a billionaire and him and his wife, they lived in central London in a, you know, massive house in Belgravia or somewhere. And they were both addicted to crack and had been for a long time, him and his wife. They were sort of in their 40s or 50s, lived in this big kind of townhouse mansion. And um, his wife died and he, uh, the kind of rooms that he continued to live in in the house were a complete mess. And he uh, concealed her body in the house for I feel like it well it was certain, I'm sure it was like months and months it might have been a couple of years and I think when you're living a bit of a chaotic life anyway I'm not saying that Bruce was on drugs but we know that he wasn't but you know he's living in a messy house it's he's not of his right mind so I kind of it's not that much more to have a body just decay in in a room is it yeah and um, so that was the case with Hans and Eva Rousing. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, they think up I, yeah. to a week that she'd potentially oh, been dead. Oh my bad. I thought it was. I thought it was much. But longer I know than what that. you mean because they they had to try and work it out from all these other other things, yeah. you know. But yeah, like yeah. you said, very very affluent, but addicted to drugs. And going back to what we were saying before, that does go to show, doesn't it? It's not. It's not just you know a poor person's issue. Anybody no. in any walk of life, in any situation, can find themselves in that sort of lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, literally billionaires living in a probably 30, 40 million pound house and smoking crack like 24-7. Yeah. And they'd been doing it for years. And she'd clearly, uh, I would say, you know, went into cardiac arrest following an overdose and, and dropped dead in front of him. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they were absolute horrific addicts. And it's mad, isn't it, to, to have all that privilege and they were just living in a couple of rooms. That house had a lot of staff as well, domestic staff. And the staff were instructed not to go into their kind of quarters. Um, but wow. they would kind of leave food outside the door and stuff. So it's just madness. And Shane Snellman had been estranged from his family for years. So they wouldn't have known too much about what was going on with him and who he knew. However, his family refused to think the worst of him. They believe that he must have known Bruce Roberts, perhaps the friend, pair were friends. They believe that Shane was invited into the house. They are absolutely certain that he wouldn't have broken in. At the two men's inquest, Shane Snellman's younger sister, Belinda, could not support the finding that her brother had broken into the house to steal. And she shouted inside the court, he never gained force entry. He never broke into that home. He already knew him. However, I don't believe that. I'm sorry, no, because he was a drug addict. How can you say that I, I can't accept that a drug addict would break into somebody's house to steal property when they've got 66 cents in their bank account to fund their next hit? And his That's quite normal behaviour. His convictions in the past included property theft offences. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like that they're trying to be nice to their loved one and that they're trying to stand up for him. It's not that much of a stretch though, love. I'm sorry. No. And also I don't I don't blame the guy. I don't blame Shane for actually breaking in to get money or property that he could sell to get more drugs. That's really normal behaviour if you're unfortunate enough to be a drug addict. So it doesn't kind of like um sully his character for me. It's just part of part of who he was, unfortunately, because because he was a drug addict. 
I don't know. I still think it's it's still criminal behaviour, and it's still not fair to it's that what, person. I know, I know, but um, it's, I get, I get. It's I know wrong, what you mean, though. But I understand why he was doing He's it. He's not the first one to desperate. do it. He's not going to be the last. No. Mm. And his niece then said she wanted her uncle remembered as a generous man, saying he was a very loving man, would do anything for anyone, and he didn't deserve what he got. I thought fair enough. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that echoes I'll take us. That. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be really interesting to know why the men, with this 20-year age gap, one of them a drug addict, one of them a recluse, would have ever become friends. It really feels to me that Snellman had broken in. Obviously, I can't say for sure, but it feels that way to me. It feels like Snellman broke in and that was that. And either way, Bruce Roberts would surely have fired that fatal shot that killed Snellman. He then lived with the decomposing body, buying air fresheners galore to cover up the smell. So... Mm. I can't imagine anybody else killed him. It must have been Bruce Roberts. No, of course. Yeah, absolutely. It was just, it was just whether it was a a more premeditated murder or whether he was protecting his property. And there is mitigating circumstance, like mitigating factors. Yeah. If he killed Shane because Shane had broken in. Exactly. Whereas if the, if the two were, you know, so like the sister saying, oh, you know, he's, he wasn't breaking into the house and he he knew Bruce. That kind of, well, yeah, I suppose that makes it, it worse that, that Bruce would have then actually murdered him. Um, cold-bloodedly yeah I just I feel like the neighbours knowing that he's such a recluse knowing his daily activities would have been aware that somebody else had come to the house like that doesn't seem like it would go unnoticed so yeah in 2018 when the house went up for sale at auction the one that I said about at the beginning of the show there were blood-stained floorboards and holes in the walls shown on the photos and the kitchen had marks kind of burn marks and stuff so along with the story behind the house no wonder it was 1.8 million rather than 2.55. I mean, like, wouldn't you try and at least clean blood off the walls before you took some photos for right move? Do you know what I mean? Who, though? Like, at Who's least... going to do that? What, the cleaners that you've just paid loads of money for that have had to clear out all of that crap? Yeah, I'd, I'd get some better cleaners in to sort <laughs> it out. So there we go. Thank you so much for listening to my episode this week. And I've really enjoyed getting back to recording with you, Mark, and chatting our way through the case and, and going off on little tangents and stuff. I've really, yeah, missed I've really it. enjoyed the I've really enjoyed going off on tangents. I hope you don't mind uh, those that are listening to this. And um, Bethan's put here, say some shit about how amazing I am. <laughs> so, um, no, genuinely, that was a, a really interesting episode. I, I so couldn't see where it was going. So, um, yeah, it's so good to have you back. And it's so good to be able to discuss the cases together. I've really, really missed that. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. Oh, God, me too. And before we go, I really wanted to thank everybody for your support of my book, which has now been out for a couple of months. So to anyone who's bought or read it, thank you. Um, Mark, I've got your signed copy to give you when I see you I'm on still, Tuesday. And I'm still waiting. I'm still right. waiting. How long is it going to take you to actually read yet. it? Because you've not even read your book club book, mate. So you're not going to read this anytime soon, are you? No, I will. I promise I will. Um, but I, I want to do, we're going to do like an interview. I'm going to interview you about the book for Patreon. Um, yeah. And genuinely, I didn't want to have read it before before I did that because I, I want I don't like um I don't know I just want you to kind of talk a little bit about it and for me to not really know that much sounds about good. it yeah yeah there was there was cool. a valid reason why I didn't want to but it doesn't really make that much sense but it did in my head so but yeah massive thank you to anybody who's bought the book read the book told me that they've read it talked to me about it left reviews it 
I still can't quite get over the fact that I wrote a book, so it's quite exciting still. So Huge yeah. one to use. It's called The New Millennium Serial Killer. Uh, it's available everywhere, isn't it? You can go on Amazon. Ooh. You can go through the publisher, crimepublishingnetwork.com. There you go. Look, I'll do it for Check you. Check you out. Amazing. Um, but fascinating book, and it's about the crimes of um, Christopher Halliwell, isn't it? Yeah, so it's about the crimes that he was convicted of and then potentially other cases that he may have links to or should at least be thought about or looked at by the police. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, fascinating read. Go and get it if you've not not already. Thank you. So I think that's kind of it for now. Don't think there's anything else that we need to talk about. So we'll be back next week. And yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, we will see you then. Have a good week, guys. Bye. Bye. Did you hear about the Welsh tourists who got drunk and stole a penguin named Dirk from SeaWorld on the Gold Coast? Or the Canadian guy who tried to beat a breathalyzer test by eating his own underpants? Hey, I'm Tara Saraban from World's Dumbest Criminals, an upbeat podcast about deadbeat crims. Join me every Monday to hear about the most ridiculous, bizarre and downright stupid crimes and criminals in the world ever. Like the Australian man who put out an unsuccessful hit on his wife and freaked out when she crashed her own funeral. Or the Chinese woman who deliberately ran 49 red lights in her ex-boyfriend's car. World's Dumbest Criminals is available on iTunes, Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe if you don't want to miss any criminally stupid shenanigans.